Open your Bible to Romans chapter 4. Continuing our series in this book, this morning we'll be looking at the first 18 verses of Romans chapter 4. And Romans chapter 4 is just a beautiful illustration of justification by faith alone. Now, that's pretty important uh, doctrine and subject. Uh, he illustrates it through Abraham and through David. And I want you to, to, to think about the importance of justification by faith alone. Um, how do you get to heaven? How, how are you sure that when you die, you're going to heaven? What, what, what's... What confidence do you have that you're not going to die and, and um, God's going to say, well, I'm sorry, uh, you just didn't make it. And God's not going to turn you over to Satan and you're going to spend eternity in hell. Are you gripped with confidence that's not going to happen? That you are surely getting to heaven? If so, if you really have confidence, you have confidence that you are just, you're right before God by faith in Christ alone. If you don't have that confidence, I hope you get it today. I hope you understand how important this is. Um, What do you share with your children to help them have that assurance? I think it would be tragic to be raised as a child and not know with certainty your eternal destiny. Not uh, having just something thrown out to you when you experience some sort of death and you wonder, and where do people go when they die and you get this answer? Well, everybody goes to heaven. And you go through life believing that, and then at some point you realize, wait, that that can't be true. Some people go to hell. Some people don't make it. Why did somebody tell me everybody just goes there? How do I go there? You know, to wake up and not have certainty, not have the assurance that you will wake up in heaven would be tragic. I wouldn't want any child not to have that assurance, not to have confidence of where they stand at death. Um, one of the uh, phrases, because of that passion of mine, not wanting my kids to wonder or doubt the necessity of, of faith in Christ and that being our eternal security. Um, I had a phrase I shared with them every time I turned out the bedtime light or every time I went on a trip or every time I left. So they heard it thousands of times growing up. And that phrase was, trust the God-man Jesus because he saved my life. So as I turn out the light, trust the God-man Jesus because he saved my life. As I went out the door, don't forget, trust the God-man Jesus because he saved my life. That's a lot different from the statement. You know, I, ne- I never just got, my, got in my kid's face and looked at him and said, look, for things to go better around here, tomorrow let's make it different than today. Let's make sure you comb your hair. You make up your bed, you clean up your room, and don't frustrate mama. Because if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? I didn't do that. 
I didn't want them waking up the next day and saying, life will be okay, life will be secure, life will be fine if I just comb my hair, hair, you know, make up my bed, clean up my room, don't frustrate my parents. I didn't want them thinking, that's what makes life. What I wanted them to hear, the last words out of my mouth, trust the God-man Jesus, because he saved my life. If he saved my life, he can save your life. And the way he saves your life is the same way he saved my life, through faith, trust. The God-man Jesus, because Christ alone is the only way to have peace in this life and in the next. It's the only way to get to heaven. Romans 4 is a beautiful illustration of that. And I want you to to get it. Let me begin, though, with verse 28 of chapter 3. We're going to see it. Romans 3, verse 28. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. What a verse. We maintain. This is the truth. This is what he ended chapter 3 with. This is the truth, that a man is right with God. He's justified by faith apart from combing his hair, making his bed, cleaning his room, and honoring his parents. Man is justified by faith alone in Christ. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do those other things. That's not what justifies you, though. doesn't make you're right. Well, some great illustrations in Romans 4. First illustration he gives us is the illustration of Abraham. Let me read the first five verses. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he's something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? So another way of saying, what does God say? What's God's answer? And the answer, he quotes from Genesis, uh, verse 3, For the Scripture say, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now stop there and think about what he just said. Paul is writing to maybe a largely Jewish audience, but regardless, he picks as his illustration point of that he maintains that salvation is by faith alone. He picks as his illustration point the life of Abraham. Now Abraham is highly regarded by the major religions of the world. Abraham's lifted up Muslims, Judaism, Christianity, all three major religions exalt Abraham. And who is Abraham? He's our father, Father Abraham. And he is the father of what? The father of faith. So Paul lifts up Abraham as a tremendous example of how we get to heaven. He says, just remember Abraham, regardless of who you are, how you were raised, Abraham is a great illustration. So he puts out Abraham for us. How did Abraham get all of his respect? 
Why do religions of the world respect Abraham? Because of his works? Did he always comb his hair? Make up his bed? And clean up his room? Did he do great things that we all remember? Can you list some of the great works of Abraham that would have given him the respect we give him? And the answer is, well, no. That's not why we respect him at all. We respect him because he believed. Because he had faith. Because he trusted. It wasn't his works at all. Look at Genesis 15, verse 6. It's the same verse that's quoted in Romans 4, but I want you to see it. Uh, Genesis 15, verse 6. So Abraham is introduced, promised a son, enters a covenant with God. Verse 6 of Genesis 15. Then he, so this is Abraham, he believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Paul quotes that and says, Abraham believed in the Lord. It was credited to him as righteousness. So it's a direct quote from Genesis 15:6. He says, this is what we know about Abraham. This is what we respect. And there's no reason to argue with it. Because he says, this is what God says about Abraham. I don't even care at this point what you say about Abraham. What we know about Abraham from God is that he believed God. And because he believed God, God credited to him righteousness through that faith that Abraham possessed. Faith alone. Now, the word credit is used a lot here in this passage. Credit is it's just a common understanding of it. It just means a positive amount applied, given, transferred, imputed to a person's account. So this positive amount of what? Positive amount of righteousness. It's not a negative amount. It's a positive. It's a credit. It goes into your account. In this case, it went into Abraham's account. He believed God, and it was a credit was given to him. And it was a credit of righteousness. How did he get that? That's pretty significant. By works, and he says, no, 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 verse 2, he says, if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about. He says, Abraham didn't do anything to earn this credit of righteousness. He just got it. It was, it was imputed to him. It was transferred to him. It was given to him. That's extremely significant. Now, it doesn't also doesn't say because of his good works, he earned it. Yes, doesn't say that. It doesn't say... Through his faith or by his faith, he earned righteousness. His faith was so strong or so good or so whatever that it merited him righteousness. Doesn't say that either because then faith would have been a work. And God would have said, oh, so you think your faith is the work. And you've earned righteousness. He said, I despise your good works. He was still sending to hell. He believed, and it was credited. God did the work. God credited to him righteousness. Now, I'm convinced of this because of the text. Notice um, down uh, verse 5. This is conclusive proof. Abraham's works did not get him heaven. Verse 5. I want you to circle the word ungodly. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly... His faith is credited 
as righteousness. Why do I know Abraham didn't do good works to get to heaven? Because Abraham was not a good person. He can't do good works because he's not a good person. What kind of person was he? He was ungodly. This credit of righteousness came to him while he was still ungodly. He was not a good person. And yet he has deposited into his account goodness, righteousness, which comes from God alone. Definite proof. Uh, We're not good because we're good people. Saving faith is trusting God to credit us while we are still ungodly. Salvation is not a DIY. It's not do-it-yourself. God doesn't send down an earn-it-yourself kit so we can earn salvation by doing certain things. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, and it will be credited to you. Christ's work will come to you. You don't need your own. Now, he says, let me give you some more proof. So he's picked the illustration of Abraham, and then he switches to the illustration of David, down in verse 6, verses 6 through 8. Just as David also, so let me give you also another illustration. David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Then he again quotes the Old Testament. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. That's a quote from Psalm 32, 1 and 2. David. Why does he pick David? I think he picks David because David's not only ungodly, And believes in the Lord. But David is notoriously ungodly. David is a notorious sinner. All of us know about Abraham, father of faith. All of us know about David, the king of a nation who is also a horrendous murderer. And an adulterer. We know about his sin, perhaps more than we know about other things about David. The Bible tells us David's slain not just thousands, tens of thousands. And when it came to having sex with Bathsheba, he didn't have any problems killing her husband. Everybody knows it. He sinned as a murderer. He sinned as an adulterer. How does a notorious sinner get to heaven? It's kind of like Donald Trump, isn't it? One thing all of us know, he's a notorious sinner. We know he is an adulterer. We know this. It's not on trial. It's just understood. See, I'm a sinner. I'm a great sinner. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. But you don't know that. I have to tell you. But we know that about Trump. And we know that about David. How does someone who is ungodly, horrendous sinner, how do they get to heaven? Can they? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. 
This is a statement, he says, it's clearly manifested throughout Scripture that salvation is by faith alone. It's not by you cleaning up your act and being a good person. This come, this credit of righteousness comes while we are still ungodly, while we are even notoriously known for our sin. That's why I think he chooses David. Um, trying to be good to get yourself to heaven is just going to lead to despair because it won't get you there. Boasting before God, God despises it. It won't get you into heaven. Uh, this quote that he pulls out of Psalm 32, what a great quote. The verse, the verse 8, which is verse 2 of Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. St. Augustine had that verse. Except I think he was, I th- I th- he made a plaque out of it. I think he used the, the translation of Psalm 32. Let me, let me go there and just refresh my memory. Um, Psalm 32, verse 2. says, uh, How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there's no deceit. Great, great text, because God doesn't impute iniquity into our account, but he imputes righteousness into our account. So St. Augustine, he took those words and he said, I want to make a plaque out of Psalm 32, verse 2, or out of Romans 4, verse 8. How blessed is the man whose sin the Lord doesn't remember, doesn't impute to his account. And he hung that plaque on the end of his bed. Think about the significance of that. Most of us have TVs hung on the end of our bed somewhere. You know, it's on the wall, dresser, something. And the last thing we see at night, we get into bed and we click on the TV. And whatever comes on, you know, those are the last things that are on our mind when we go to sleep. St. Augustine says, the last thing I want to see before I go to sleep is, are these words. How blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not impute. How blessed is the man whose sin is covered by Christ. If you read the life of St. Augustine, he was a notorious sinner. Like David. Like Trump. Like some of us. He says, how blessed would be the man whose sin is not remembered. Whose sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. Whose sin is covered. Whose sin is not imputed to his account. But rather he is credited with righteousness. Now. Suppose you die and you go. And stand before Christ. This is your judgment day. Suppose I die. And I'm standing before Christ. And Christ says. David. uh, Welcome. You're here at the entrance of heaven. Um, and I, I only have one question to ask you. Now, let me just remind you about heaven before I ask the question. You know heaven's a holy place, right? There's no sin in this place. It's only pure. It's only righteous, which is why it's only peaceful and great. Knowing that, this is the question I've got to ask you. Are you a sinner? Now, as I 
see God's penetrating eyes, I'm thinking, I can't lie my way out of this one. And lines of sin, right? You want to say, I haven't sinned, but you know you have. So what's your response? Are you a sinner? Because no sin enters this place. And what if you sinned even in your last breath as you died? Are you a sinner? No sin enters this place. There's only one answer. The answer is yes. I am a sinner. And I'm a sinner of the worst sort. But, good news. I trust the God-man Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And so God says, that is goodness. Because those who trust in Jesus, I impute, I credit righteousness to their account. Hallelujah. And I say, yes, God, because of that, your credit of righteousness to my account. The righteousness of Christ is of such sufficient quantity and of such sufficient quality that this terrible sinner stands before you, nevertheless, today, paid up. My debts are paid. They are paid in full. I am new. I have been made whole in Christ. And the righteousness of Christ has been given to me so that I have sufficiency in all things. I see Jesus and I am like him. I am righteous. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. That's the good news. I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. It's by faith alone. Abraham trusted. David trusted. Augustine trusted. Trust the God-man Jesus. I stand before you as one who has been changed. I have been saved. And the righteousness of Christ has been credited to my account. That's my hope. That's glorious. Romans 4, like I said, what an illustration of that. Second, I want you to see, well, you say, whoa, that is good news. Can I get some of that? Well, he answers that. That's the next question. Who can get it if it's, if it's really that good? Hopefully, I can get it too. Well, verse 9, he begins telling us who can have this faith. Verse 9, is this blessing then, this good news, Is it on the circumcised? That's a code word in the Bible for the Jew. Is is this blessing on the Jew, the circumcised, or on the uncircumcised? That'd be the rest of us, the Gentiles, also. So we know it came to the Jew first. Does it also come to the Gentile, the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. He says, I get that. Now, how then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, 
but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. The righteousness, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to, who, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in their steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Let me just break that down real easy for you. It says, all mankind's in two groups. Who gets to go to heaven? Is it just the Jew, the circumcised? Because everybody knew that circumcised circumcision was the sign of being the faithful Jew. And is that faithful Jew the only one who gets to go to heaven? He said, let's back up a minute, talk about Abraham again. When did Abraham get the credit of righteousness? Because that's what gets you in. When did Abraham believe on Jesus and it was credited to him sufficient, sufficiently the righteousness of Christ? Did, did that come to him because of circumcision? He said, no, as a matter of fact, it came to him prior to circumcision. Abraham wasn't even circumcised when he got faith. Um, for sake of time, let, let me just put it chronolo- in a chron- chronological fashion. He believed in Christ in Genesis 15. He wasn't circumcised until Genesis 17. Okay? So you look at that, and he says, so he was saved in Genesis 15, yes. He doesn't get circumcised till much later. Genesis 17, when God says, I want you to share this good news with the nations and have the men circumcised and their children. He says, that came later. So he was already saved. He didn't have to have be circumcised. Yes, you don't have to have the sign of it. In other words, circumcision is not a prerequisite to faith. Being a Jew is also not a prerequisite to faith. That's where Paul wants to go. So having your nationality in the Jewish nation, that doesn't make you saved. Being circumcised, having the sign, that doesn't make you saved. It's, again, by faith alone in Christ. So if you are Jew... Or Gentile, you have faith in Christ, the good news is for you. That's his point. It's pretty simple. Other things are not prerequisites to it. Uh, Okay. Well, who else would be the question? Verses 13 through 18. For the promise to Abraham uh, or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world. Don't miss the phrase world because it's in... A context where people are thinking the promise only went to Israel or only went to the Jew. He says, no, no, no. Abraham, the promise came to Abraham for the whole world, not just for Israel, not just for the Jew. And keep on reading verse 13, was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Again, it's not by doing these things gets you there. Verse 14, For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there's also no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed, circle this, to all. 
Again, not just to Jew, circumcised. So the, so the promise can be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, that's, again, code for the Jew, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it's written, a father of many nations. See it again? Plural. Not just one nation. Many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In the hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of, again, circle this, many nations according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. So God promised Abraham, I don't know why you didn't get this, he said. He says, you go back and read Genesis 15. You go back and read Genesis 17. You find that God already told him, I'm making you the father of faith for the world, for the nations. We're going to start with the Jew, but it's going to be expanded to the whole world. So you, Abraham, will have heirs, and your heirs will be all of those descendants who believe, and it's credited to them as righteousness. Whether they are Jew, or whether they are Gentile, whether they are in this nation, or in many nations. If they believe, it can be credited them as righteousness. And let me give you one example of this from Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 5. This is a story where... A Gentile centurion, Roman, comes to to Jesus asking for help. And Jesus makes a statement about this man. In the context, there is this constant New Testament kind of dialogue between Jew and Gentile going on. Let me read it. Uh, Matthew 8, verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion. So here's the Gentile centurion came to him imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And I say to that one and to another one, come. And he comes and to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. It's pretty significant, isn't it? What can we do to make Jesus marvel? He said, well, when he heard what the centurion said, Jesus marveled. He said, this is astonishing. Why is this astonishing to Jesus? It's because he's, he's going to say, because I'm not seeing this in my audience, in my congregation very often. This It's pretty astonishing stuff. He says, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, key word, with anyone in Israel, key context. I'm talking to this Jewish context, and out of the blue, here comes this Gentile into my house, into my Jewish congregation, and says, I want some of that. I want the power of Christ. I want it for one of my servants. He needs to be healed. Jesus says, okay, I'll I'll come. I'll I'll make that trek to the Gentile world and and do that. He said, no, no, you don't have to. uh, 
it would be unbelievable if Jesus were to show up in this Gentile home. He says, I would be so unworthy of that. I might even be tempted to boast in that. I don't need that. I just need the healing. Jesus says, and he says, all you have to do is say it. I believe. I believe you are God. And you can heal. Jesus says, that's astonishing. Doesn't need any works. Doesn't need to do anything. Doesn't need to earn anything. He just has faith. I'm going to give him the healing he's asking for. Then he makes his statement. Verse 11. Um, I say to you that many will come from east and west. That's an idiom, which means basically many will come from the ends of the earth, from the whole world, from as far as you can go to the east, as far as you can go to the west. Many will come and will recline at the table with Abraham, father of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where? In the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, that's the Jews, code for Jews, the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. A lot of people are going to be cast into hell. He says, Who gets to heaven? Who gets to sit with Father Abraham at the table in the kingdom of heaven? Those who believe. And the centurion was one of those who believed. The Gentile world, that's you and me. The good news, it comes to us, but we don't have to earn it any more than the Jew had to earn it. We don't have to have a certain sign to make us ready. While we were still sinners, while we are still ungodly, God credits righteousness to our account. What is the plan of salvation? Amazes me how many church folks are still confused. What is the plan of salvation? How do I get confidence that I go to heaven? It's through faith in Christ alone. It's not faith that earns you something. It's not faith plus something. It's faith in Christ alone. Jesus made it plain, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one goes to heaven apart from me. You have to come through me. Abraham is highly respected throughout the world. In many religions, they talk about him. But that doesn't mean there are multiple ways of salvation. There's only one way of salvation. It's faith in Christ alone. No other way is it. And it includes you and me. Jesus says, after he died on the cross and rose again from the dead, he met with with his disciples and he says, now I want you to go where? To, To the world, to every ethnic group. And make disciples. This is not for the Jew only. It's not for the circumcised only. It's not for the kingdom of God people only. This is for every ethnic group. Go to the world. And share the good news. Salvation is by faith alone. It's the only way. Um, We're imputed. Righteousness by God's grace. Do you have that righteousness? Has God done that for you? Trust the God-man Jesus because he saved my life.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the glorious message that the kingdom of heaven is ours through faith alone. Father, have mercy upon us who have not believed, who have not trusted Christ. Father, it's not something to manipulate. It's not something to coerce. It needs to be genuine faith. Father, if there are men and women or boys and girls here this morning who have yet to put their faith, trust Christ alone, Father, we ask that you would grant them this gift of life, that they would believe in Christ, Christ's person, what he, who he is, Christ's work, what he did, and that through faith that Christ died for us, gave his life for us, that his righteousness would be credited to their account. Lord, draw them into your kingdom through faith. We ask this mercy for this grace in Jesus' name. Amen.